really remember waking up, but I guess at one point I tried to get up to use the bathroom and my wife noticed I was having a hard time figuring out how to get into the bathroom. And then she noticed certain parts of my body were kind of behaving erratically, like my arms were not really easily controlled. So she got me back into bed, had me lay down. I guess there were some other symptoms there too, probably, that prompted her to call uh, 911. First thing I can remember post-stroke, I think, is probably my view from a hospital bed. Though I'm not exactly sure which one it was. It might have been UCSF, University of California, San Francisco's hospital, and people coming in to check on me and look in my eyes and stuff like that. That was a couple days after the actual stroke, so that was pretty much it. And actually, it's hard to tell, really, because there was a lot of memories, a lot very similar to that from various hospital beds over the next few days. Between being at the community hospital of the Monterey Peninsula, or CHUMP, for a little while, and then moving up to UCSF, and then, since I'm in the military, being transferred to the VA in Palo Alto, California. I was there, I guess, from the day of October 6th. I think I was released in early February of this year, so early 2020. We have no idea what the cause was. I was actually one of the healthier people that I ever knew at the time. I was very fit, eating well. As far as the type of stroke, I had what I think forensically breaks down to first, a hemorrhagic stroke, which then I think led into the number is three additional ischemic strokes. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In America, someone suffers from a stroke every 40 seconds, about 795,000 people a year. About 610,000 of these are first strokes. In this episode, we hear from Evan Salbego from Monterey, California, who suffered a stroke on his 36th birthday. I was a full-time student. I have since graduated, but being in the Army, I was doing my master's program stationed in Monterey, California at the Naval Postgraduate School. So relatively, you know, had a pretty thinking-intensive life. You can imagine a, a stroke would pretty much interrupt completely, but I was fortunate enough to have already completed all of my graduate work. And aside from that, it was pretty much just a normal day-to-day routine of going to classes and getting online, doing some reading and and such. Living in Monterey, it's a beautiful place to be outdoors. Of course, my stroke occurred immediately before the COVID epidemic set in too. So as you can imagine, as I'm coming out of recovery and various therapies, the world has fundamentally changed for me as a result of the epidemic and all of the lockdowns in place, uh, which we, at least in California, are very much still experiencing. So since then, I've attended as many therapies as they've set up for me, basically just trying to get a consistent schedule and my feet back under me, and taking recovery one day at a time. And I often say to myself, it's all therapy, because you never really know what's coming what's coming next, but you kind of take it as a learning experience when you've had a stroke. It was a, actually a pretty good day up until the point that I suppose I had a stroke. I don't remember the event itself. My wife and I had gone out to an area called Asilomar Beach so we could watch otters swim around and you know seals jump into the water and stuff. It was a, actually a pretty good birthday and just kind of hanging out in California. Nothing crazy went on there and that night I came home, went to sleep, 
I don't really remember waking up, but I guess at one point I tried to get up to use the bathroom and my wife noticed I was having a hard time figuring out how to get into the bathroom. And then she noticed certain parts of my body were kind of behaving erratically, like my arms were not really easily controlled. So she got me back into bed, had me lay down. I guess there were some other symptoms there too, probably, that prompted her to call uh, 911. I don't remember anything of the actual stroke event, but that's how it happened. I'm, well, nobody is lucky to have a stroke on their 36th birthday, which I think is relatively young to have a stroke. I s still find myself that I am fortunate to have recovered as well as I have. So for that matter, I'm sitting here today, just kind of taking one day at a time and trying to be as healthy as possible about the entire episode. First thing I can remember post-stroke, I think, is probably my view from a hospital bed. Though I'm not exactly sure which one it was. It might have been UCSF, University of California, San Francisco's hospital. And people coming in to check on me and look in my eyes and stuff like that. That was a couple days after the actual stroke. So that was pretty much it. And actually, it's hard to tell, really, because there was a lot of memories, a lot very similar to that from various hospital beds over the next few days. With his surgery and subsequent rehab, Evan had a long hospital stay. I was in a hospital, let's see, starting that day, October 6th, between being at the community hospital of the Monterey Peninsula, or CHOMP, for a little while, and then move, moving up to UCSF. And then, since I'm in the military, being transferred to the VA in Palo Alto, California. I was there, I guess, from the day of October 6th, I think I was released in early February of this year, so early 2020. Surgery-wise, I had what's referred to as a shunt emplaced. One of the symptoms that I was found myself experiencing as I was recovering was hydrocephalus, which is, I think, a buildup of pressure inside the skull from excess cerebral spinal fluid. Because of that, a shunt was emplaced. It was like a valve to slowly release the pressure as it builds, which then from my skull drains in a tube down through my neck into my abdominal cavity uh, to be reabsorbed by my body. So there was that. I also had on my skull a bone flap removed to initially reset the pressure. That was then re-emplaced later on uh, when pressure had balanced out. And so I think that's actually about it. There was just a number of things that happened to my skull that of course, I can't really remember actually them happening, but I still know that they happened. I have plenty of scars to prove it. We have no idea what the cause was. I was actually one of the healthier people that I ever knew at the time. I was very fit, eating well. As far as the type of stroke, I had what I think forensically breaks down to, first, a hemorrhagic stroke, which then I think led into the number is three additional ischemic strokes. Evan is grateful that he's been able to make such a strong recovery. You know, I've, I've done pretty well. Like I said, I'm fortunate to have recovered as well as I have. My balance is still pretty good. I can still read. I can still have conversations. I can still do basic problem solving. One of the consequences that I noticed right off the bat was um, I had actually been very good at solving a Rubik's Cube. I Just this past year and a half, I'd like taught myself how to do it. Like there's plenty of YouTube tu tutorials that I've taken in and had actually gotten pretty good at solving a Rubik's Cube. Post-stroke, however, cannot solve it on my own. So there was that. That was like, that's become a litmus test for me. In fact, still reminds me that, yes, 
I did have a massive stroke and there was brain damage. And so it's a little, a little disheartening, but it's something that I'm trying to reteach myself now. Otherwise, I guess right after the stroke, they put me through ophthalmology to test my eye health because I had a bit of a left neglect and a little bit of a, an umbra on the right side. So some slight vision loss. As a result of that, it was recommended to me that if I can avoid it, don't drive for a while. And so my wife has been kind enough to do all of the driving. I'm completely behind that because I would not want to risk getting in a car and then driving as somebody who's had brain damage, because I think that's just a responsibility that I should hold. Yeah, so for that matter, I can't really drive now. I had fortunately already finished my master's program, so haven't had to do student-like things, but everything since the stroke has been a new sort of learning experience. I've been in various forms of therapy, physical therapy, vision therapy, speech therapy, and those I've found that doing as many therapies as I can probably kept me on the up and up. That's my guess. I've been told it's good for me, so I'm doing them. That's really about it thus far. I haven't had to really go back to work, but I have attended a few online meetings. I didn't realize it beforehand, but I guess Zoom kind of took over after the pandemic, so everybody does remote meetings now. I think one of the things that I noticed is, having been in the military for 12 years at this point, I was a pretty decent staff officer for a while. And now little organizational things like making sure I've responded to the correct email or organizing my calendar and knowing which Zoom meeting is when and what link goes to which one. Those things are a little more frustrating now. Of course, everybody got to learn Zoom with a full brain. And for me, it was kind of a, a new thing. So I'm learning something new for the first time with a stroke and coming to find that just organization in itself is maybe a little more challenging. I'd say those are pretty much the lasting effects. I'd like to say that I'm still basically articulate. I still have my whole range of vocabulary. I can still form sentences. I'm doing actually pretty well, all things considered. I've had ample healing time. The military has been good to just say, well, your job is to heal. And uh, I very much appreciate that. In terms of my values and basic thought processes, they're all the same. Even when I was I guess, laying in a hospital bed and communicating with nurses and interns and students coming through, I was told after the fact that I was still very witty, which is great. I think that's one of the things that I would have definitely wanted to keep. I'd say I'm still the same person, yes. I think I will definitely stay in the military for many reasons. One, I just really like it. I have a lot of friends and a lot of support, but also it's what I've done for the past 12 years. It's very much a part of the long-term memory which I retain. I think right off the bat, there was some short-term memory loss there, or I was less able to retain short-term memories as quickly, but I still have a pretty vast reservoir of long-term memories, which I frequently draw from. So very much of what I've known in the past 12 years in the military is still there. People, connections, jobs that I've had, even some routine things. And I, my intent is to stay in as long as I can. Evan suffered multiple strokes all at once and had to undergo a number of surgeries to relieve the pressure on his brain, which makes his recovery all the more remarkable. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Evan talking about his hopes for the future. Had an injury this severe. Normal is pretty good. My new normal isn't that bad. But I would just like to be able to not have had it, I suppose. So while there's no real 
goal that's going to get me there. I would just like to be able to return to as much normalcy as possible. And his advice for loved ones of a stroke survivor. Patience, I imagine, is probably one of the most crucial things you can have because you're working with a person who essentially has probably in some ways feels like a brand new brain and they're learning probably slower than they would have expected to. So there are just some things that have to be dealt with as they come. But patience is a very important virtue. Let's hear how Evan's wife coped with his stroke. This was a more traumatic event for her than it was for me. Of course, there's an obvious you know, physical trauma for me. But for her, she had to be the go-between for everything that happened to me thereafter. She had to call 911, I think probably for the first time in her life, to get me help, to see me struggling for a number of reasons, to you know, then sit in a waiting room while I go through a brain surgery. There are a lot of things that she did never expect to have to go through. And so for that reason, I mean, she has been my absolute rock in all this. But the, the traumatic part for me of all this is that I had to put her through all that. So there's a bit of a, a latent guilt that follows me a little bit, though she's really good. You know, she's awesome. She really saved my life in this. I guess, you know, time heals most wounds. This is one of those things, though, I think she wishes she could kind of unsee sometimes. But she's been a huge help, and she's been the reason why I can recover as well as I have. I would like to teach myself how to solve a Rubik's Cube again, and I would like to be able to drive again. But I'm only going to do that if I can get retrained, I suppose. There's Then there's a couple different training opportunities to do that. In fact, the VA in Palo Alto where I was for a bit, they had a driver's training program to do just that. But I don't know if that'll be necessarily my future. Goals would just be to return to as much of normal life as I possibly can after this. I had a pretty good life before, and I really wouldn't mind you know, having exactly the same things before. So those are pretty much my goals. When you've had an injury this severe, normal is pretty good. My new normal isn't that bad. But I would just like to be able to not have had it, I suppose. So while there's no real goal that's going to get me there, I would just like to be able to return to as much normalcy as possible. One of the last uh, things I remember the speech therapy instructor handing me was an article about how the airports in Beijing are now taking everybody's temperature before they get onto a plane, something to that effect. And it was because there was this new disease. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really weird. And then I pretty much stepped outside of the VA hospital. And sure enough, the entire world was feeling this thing called COVID. And everybody was wearing masks. It was a little bit like stepping into a post-apocalyptic film. And you're like, how did I get here? The world had fundamentally changed. And so a lot of things for me had to fundamentally change as well. But my wife and I have done as best we can to just work with it, maintain as much of a normal life as we can. And I suppose California is in some ways more restrictive than other places, like it's opening up slower, but it is slowly opening up. And I suppose that means I've gone to fewer national parks this year than I would have otherwise. And for a lot of reasons, I haven't had to worry about what happens next in my military career because so much has slowed down with, for instance, the processing of orders and Things like me trying to figure out if I have any responsibilities at school because all the school stuff is pretty much distance learning right now. I'm just waiting for uh, directions to what happened next, and a lot of that has to, has little less to do with the fact that I had a massive stroke and more to do with the fact that the world is changing.
Evan thinks working on your recovery never stops. To anybody who's a stroke survivor, I'd say take every opportunity you can to be learning, to be doing therapies. I was told as I started recovering from this to do as many therapies as I can, whether it be physical therapy, vision therapy, speech therapy, be using your brain to your best capacity. But I was also told take those opportunities you need to rest because rest is probably one of the best things for the brain. I've been trying to do those as best I can, but for those who are supporting a stroke survivor, patience, I imagine, is probably one of the most crucial things you can have because you're working with a person who essentially has, probably in some ways feels like a brand new brain and they're learning probably slower than they would have expected to. So there are just some things that have to be dealt with as they come, but patience is a very important virtue. Despite needing that critical surgery for his stroke, Evan is almost back to his old self and hopes one day to be able to drive again. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I eventually managed to kind of by using the door frames, g- gather up the, the strength to kind of pull myself into my bedroom where I could get to my mobile, fo- mobile phone. I rang for an ambulance and by the time the ambulance had came, Again, these symptoms had disappeared. It was just so weird. And by the time the, the paramedics came, I felt like such a fraud. Please do subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.